May 3rd, 2023. It's a Watt for Pedro show.
Lot for Pedro Show. Started off with John Coltrane doing Do I Love You Because You're Beautiful? And then Luis Fernando Amaya with K. Del Mar Celista. Movement number one. And because of those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, I got with me Luis Fernando Amaya. Welcome aboard. Hola. Thank you. Yeah. Hello. Absolutely. Super nice to you. And right away, we got to give uh, uh, credit to uh, Randolph and Lee for the connect. Thank you so much. So many uh, interesting people. I want to learn about your journey through music. So, Luis, please bring your earliest memory of music. 
My earliest memory of music. Um, Remember, it's a Watford well, Pedro show, so there's no hard questions and there's no wrong answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think my earliest memory of music is uh, my family singing to me as a child. Makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very, you know, wholesome, very um, out of tune, <laughs> very <Of course>. beautiful. <laughs> Where was this? In Aguascalientes, Mexico. Okay. It's, a, it's a city in, the, in central Mexico. Okay. And uh, uh, in this pad, this casa, was there uh, instruments? Musical no, instruments. No, actually, I have a very non-musical family. I mean... Well, the voice is the, an instrument. <laughs> Sorry? I would call the voice an instrument. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, like, percussion is everywhere. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but apart from that, maybe not that much. Um, although my mom really cared about uh, musical education. Yeah. Uh, she had this idea since I was like, I think one or two, that I was going to be a musician. And everybody made fun of her because um, she just saw me like play a piano once, you know, as a baby, just like play one, one note. <laughs> yeah. And she said that I played it very well. And everybody made so much fun of her. And, you know, Maybe she saw something. <laughs> absolute, absolute premonition, huh? So, can I ask you, first piece of, you know, a record, for, I'm 65 years old, so yeah. What was the first record you bought with your own money? Now, it could be like at a CD, of course. Okay, the first record that I bought with my own money, I don't think I have bought records, like I bought records until very recently with Bandcamp. Uh, ah. Before, honestly, I would listen to a lot of, you know, like burned, um, burned cities. Is that how you say it? Sure, you know, people sure. burn music for you or downloading music. And then with YouTube and all of these streaming, you know, um, things. And, you know, before I did buy records, but not with my own money. But I used to love Korn, the band, you know, with a K. <laughs> sure. I think but, California. Sorry? I think they're a California band. Oh, really? I, I yeah. mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. think they were I mean, originally love- from Bakersfield, but now somewhere in SoCal. I don't know. But, uh, well, I ask that because when you're a kid, you don't have a lot of money. So if you do yeah. spend money on a record, that's why I'm interested in it. Do you remember the I first uh, live gig you saw, performance of music? Um, I don't remember the first one, but I... I mean, I, can, I know that I went to many concerts as a child, uh, but there's one that I really remember um, very well. And it was um, a band of um, like a rock, like children rock band. Okay. <laughs> I think they're from Mexico City. It's yeah. called Los Patita de Perro. Like uh, it translates to the um, dog, little dog paws. Yeah. Paws. I, you know, um, the little feet the on the dogs. Pa- yeah. Paws. Yeah. <laughs> the dogs. yeah. And I love them because, I mean, they made very clever music for children. It was it wasn't dumbed down or anything. They had they were very good musicians and they would talk about like, you know, turning off the TV and turning on your brain and things like that. And they would also sometimes include traditional 
music from Mexico in oh, a very great. organic way with the rock music. Yeah. It was really cool. I remember being ecstatic when I saw them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about at school? Were you in the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? No, not really. We did have like a music class, and they made us play a lot of like claves and guido and like these, um, how do you call these flutes? The ones like the uh, Yamaha flutes? <laughs> I think you mean record, uh, recorder. Yeah, the recorder. Yeah, exactly. They're diatonic um, and a mouth, plastic mouthpiece and yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, a big mess. Uh, I mean, that's, I guess, one of my first encounters with extreme microtonality, you know, to be fair. But yeah, I guess that my only, like in, in, in school, that was my only musical instruction. However, I did study violin and piano and then percussion uh, outside of school so, oh, as a child. Why? Because your mom? Yeah, because of my mom. <laughs> okay, no, 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 that's happening. Very happening. And you know, flutes, actually, native people in the New World, that was one, right? Flutes and drums. Because uh, the it, guitars and the string stuff, that came from uh, Europe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting um, how things evolve like that. Uh, so, okay, what was first, violin? It was first violin, and I hated it. Yeah. Uh, and then it was piano, and I loved it. But then I, um, they, they saw that I had some potential, so they took me to this. Uh, I remember it was this Russian teacher in in Aguascalientes. She was supposed to be really good. I'm sure she was a really good pianist, but she was a horrible teacher. She was very violent. I'm, I'm guess that's the way that she learned. Yeah. And I was no eight. So in one class, like she completely destroyed my love for piano. Yeah. Uh, so then I didn't want to play piano, and then my mom was like, "Okay, like I have good news and bad news. The good news is that you can choose whatever other instrument that you want. The bad news is that you have to choose an instrument." You know, she was like very decisive right um, I mean it also made sense I always expressed that I really love music and it was evident that it wasn't because I just stopped loving it but because I had like some sort of trauma <laughs> with the piano so that's when I started playing drums and then eventually um, okay drums that's what you picked the, when your ma said pick an instrument batteria okay you know I found I've had a lot of people as guests on the show who were almost driven away from music by the experience of the piano lessons. And I, I really do think it's the teacher. I think not everybody should be doing that. <laughs> I think it takes a real good skill to be a good teacher. Absolutely. I think uh, teachers are completely undervalued. And for that reason, people think that anyone who knows how to do something can teach how to do that. Right. And the truth is that is, it's a different skill. Uh, and in many ways, it's way harder to teach someone who doesn't know how to do it. And in the way, uh, you know, um, share your love and passion and curiosity about it instead of just like your frustrations and your anger towards the instrument or music or life. You know, I think you really need to to be a, a very prepared person and also someone who has a lot of um, insight you know, yeah. to, to actually be a teacher. I think it's super hard and people just uh, take it for granted for some reason. It's like teachers, like, you know, there's the saying that if you, those who can't do teach, and I think that's super um, fucked harmful. up. Yeah, it's fucked up. You know, I'll tell you, for example, sports, notice that 
really good players, they don't usually make good coaches. And the good coaches weren't really the best players. It's a different yeah. set of skills, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, being the boss and telling people what to do, that's just using authority. But to inspire people, that's yeah. the yeah, that's the technique. You gave me this uh K Del Mar Salista. I'm gonna play that movement number two.
Watch for Pedro Show. That chunk of music started off with Luis Fernando Amaya with K. Domar Salista, movement number two. Then Pelican Man with uh, part three of Planet Chernobyl. This is me and Petra uh, putting music to Charlie Plymel's poem for the Just Out Opera, part three. So, uh, Carlos from France, Lyon, Batir de Rif, Frere Seb, no bass, but still digging it, drum, violin, drum, uh, guitar. Ubo after that brand new, The Origin of My Depression, R04, new out of Tokyo, Petacore, and then finally, Cato Marcelista, but movement number four, Luis Fernando Amaya. Okay, so you got it. Now, what you do? Did you did you buy a drum set? Did your mom buy it? How did you? Did... Yeah, my family got me uh, these. Um, I mean, kind of old drums from a from a friend of my sister's who went to Montreal to live and just uh, left his drum set in in his house. So they asked him if I could use it, and he said yes. And he was actually, you know. Um, looking back to it, it was an amazing set of uh, of drums. You know, every single uh, part of it, the the cymbals, uh, the drums, and everything was from different <laughs> drum sets. Sure, Can but it was yeah, it was so well uh, chosen. And so that was my first drum set, and eventually I got another one because I wanted one. You know, like it, lo- it all looked the same, and <laughs> it looked uh, a little bit more flashy. And eventually, I got uh, I remember a Pearl, um, Pearl drum set. Yeah, Peter Chris from Kiss, right? Pearl. And I think the word yeah, we was... use uh, cannibalize. Huh? You take parts from different things, you put it together to make the dealio, right? Yeah, yeah. But if it worked, now, now, how did you learn? Did you get a teacher? Did you learn on your own? How'd you do it? I did. I did have a few teachers, uh, some of them better than others. But eventually, I, I, I got to a very, very good teacher. Um, and, you know, particularly between that and listening to a lot of music, I guess uh, that's mostly how I learned. And, you know, playing with my friends. And we were also in the time where everybody wanted to play an instrument. Yeah, so I, I, I should ask you. Competition. Like, <laughs> like teenage years, uh, the bedroom yeah. band, the garage band, the ba- uh, bedroom band. Did you get into that stuff with your buddies? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I used to have this. Uh, it was like a. The genre was weird, but it was maybe like surf punk. <laughs> sure, sure. And we were 14, uh, and the band was called Aerotaxi. In like air taxi, but uh, sure. with a Y at the end. Of course. <laughs> air taxi. And it was actually pretty cool. We, we would mix like surf with punk with a little bit of like a, a screamo, I guess. Uh, we were four. It was, you know, one guitar, one bass, uh, the drums, and just one guy singing. Or, Quartet. Or scream. Quartet. In the material, you were composing your own tunes? Yes, yes. Uh, everything that we played was uh, original. Ah, so no covers. Okay, that that's different. Because no a lot of bands, especially young people, they're starting to learn how to play. They try to copy songs off records. So that's yeah. interesting. Uh, were you involved being the? You know, because there's been kind of prejudice against drummers being songwriters. Yeah, that's true. It's terrible. Chico Hamilton could not get songwriting credits. This is in the jazz world in the '60s. 
Yeah, that's true. Fucking you know, I, I think that I, I never thought about it in that way. You know, I never thought about, I mean, I guess I've always been very, <laughs> I don't know if nosy is a word. Like I always had opinions and I always was uh, maybe a little bit too, um, I was proposing maybe a little too much. So I, it was never like, a, there was never this feeling that I couldn't uh, share my opinion probably because I was the most vocal one. <laughs> But did you like introduce like some licks, some some beats, some words? Did you? Did I, I would up? also take the guitar sometimes and just do like, ah. oh, what if we did this? And um, so you sometimes learned, not always. You're saying you learn guitar also? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't oh. say I learned it. Okay, I would just like grab it. <laughs> sure, sure, primitive. Yeah, okay. Just to give the other guys an idea that you, uh, that you had and try to work it out. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and then just like. Uh, yeah, maybe some ideas about the... Um, Aero Taxi. Can you remember the first Aero Taxi gig? Um, yes, it was at the guitarist. Uh, his name is uh, Rodolfo. We call him Rudy. Yeah. It was at his at his place, you know, with, with his parents. Sure. Um, we were playing at his backyard and, you know, a few friends came by. Came by. A very typical story. And it was amazing, you know, it was it was perfect. We we felt so good after it, and yeah, all of the music that we played was ours, unless I am, you know, remembering. Maybe I'm missing something, but if I can remember correctly, I don't think we ever played one cover. Okay, that's great. And what is this like high school time? This is before it's middle school. Okay, okay. So, how far does this band go? I think it went on for about a year and then it very sadly dissolved also kind of like with our friendship and you know to this day i am not sure why uh, that's, like that shit happens. happened but i don't know exactly why like i've sometimes wanted to reach out to them and be like hey do you remember this thing that happened almost 17 years ago <laughs> <laughs> You remember why? <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. Though. What do we say? Ships in the night, right? They just they pass each other. They're very close, but then they're very far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you do with your drum? Well, your musical education. Um, well, eventually I moved to Mexico City when I was 18. Uh, before that, I started studying um, Classical percussion and Latin American percussion with the same teachers, the amazing uh, Ana Luna and Hector Vas and Nestor Vasquez. Sorry, ah. Ana Nestor, you know, basically. No. So they are the, the current, they're still the percussionists of the Symphonic Orchestra of Aguascalientes, which is very good. Yeah. Uh, and they're amazing musicians and amazing people. And... It was interesting, since I started studying with them when I was 16, they knew that I was into composition, so they always taught me in a way that was kind of like composition-oriented. I remember ah. that they wouldn't be so, um, you know, uh, insistent in me, you know, in my working, uh, you know, technique or stuff like that. They were more interested in me being able to understand all the possibilities of the instruments and you know, it's interesting. I only have one piece for percussion. Uh, I, and, you know, I am a percussionist. However, I think that all of my music is very much informed by the, the everything I learned 
from percussion. You know, this like that how everything that you do changes the sound. The way that you hit it, where you hit it, with what did you hit? Did you hit it? You know, everything just is so important in how you produce the sound. Then I feel like all my music has that element of you know of percussion, even though I only have one piece for percussion. Okay. Yeah, but who knows what the future has? Maybe you're going to write a buttload. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, you know, because I've talked to cats who've told me about learning percussion like Cuba way. They put you on clave. Uh -huh. It's sort of like being the assistant to a sushi chef. They don't let you start cutting stuff for you until you're ready. So you could be on clave for like years. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm talking about? There's two ways to do it, right? It's like bink, bink. Bink, bink, or bink, 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 bink. And like, you got to do that until they think you're ready to move on. Then they'll give you a conga or a tuba or some stuff like that. So, you were, these guys were more from the classical world, right? No, they were also. Oh, um, okay. They would play a lot of Latin American uh, okay, okay. music, and particularly, I mean, salsa was super important for them. Uh, and you know that thing that you say about the clave. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 I mean, it is true for many, for many teachers, for many, you know, uh, communities, because the clave is the the, heart. Know, the musical skeleton of a lot of, of this music. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It could even okay. be said that a lot of like these musics are more than you know beat based. Yeah. They're clave based. Uh, and there's no, I mean, those are the two ways of the clave de son, the ones that you described. But right, there are many right. other claves, like the clave de rumba, clave de bembe, or like in um, Mexican son jarocho, which is from the Gulf of Mexico, yeah. some specific region. They have other types of clave, like the café con pan, which means coffee with bread, yeah. which is basically a three against two, uh, or sacapunta, which is like a, this very interesting uh, clave in six eight that uh, where the accentuation is always before the beat, Whoa. so it's like very confusing. Yeah, and all, all of these musics, like you can see how everything uh, moves around the claves. You could even say like beat is way way less important than the clave as like this thing that holds the the musical not only the rhythmic but also you know the. Uh, the structure of how the phrases are uh, constructed, how the sentences, how the, like the lyrics is, is really interesting. So yeah, it makes sense that you would stay in clave for a long time until your body has completely, you know, absorbed that and, and internalized it. Oh, interesting. So you would say skeleton and not heart, because I've heard people say it's the heartbeat. I see it as a skeleton. Okay. Okay. Yeah. More like a big structure that's holding everything together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Very interesting. Look, we're at the end of the first hour. May 3, 2023 edition of for Pedro Show. Special guest, Luis Fernando Maya. Hold tight for hour two. May 3, 2023. It's the second hour of Watt for Pedro Show. <laughs> Thank you. 
for Pedro show start the second hour K Delmar Salista this is the third movement Luis Fernando Amaya then uh, primary mystical experience with potential nod with enter pip squeak and then uh, Luis Fernando Amaya with pregunta dos condor okay so you're learning from these two teachers percussion yeah, yeah. you're just focused on that you're not doing any little rock and roll on the side um, no, no, I was definitely, yeah. I, I would uh, jam a lot, particularly with a friend. I'm going to say hi to him. Hola, Lucas, you know, one of my best friends from, from high school. He, he's an amazing, um, guitarist, particularly, you know, like, a metal, uh, like all the genres of metal, he would know them and play them very well. And we would meet a lot to ju- just to jam. And we were particularly into playing some sort of, uh, prog rock or prog metal i guess um you know we like to play a lot with um uh 
how do you call it? I mean, you know, seven, eight, uh, five, eight, six, eight, and I think uh, they it was call always it... jamming. You know, it was always kind of trying to surprise the other person and see if you cut them, you know, off guard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think they call that math rock. Yeah, I, I guess we probably didn't uh, go that far because I mean, at least the people who I know that play math rock, they are really good and uh, their music is way more complex than what we were doing. But you know, it was an attempt to do it. <laughs> Well, when you say those trippy times, like fives and sevens and yeah. shit like that, yeah. What am I thinking? Uh, like Captain Beefheart. Okay, yeah. Good I to agree. listen to, but hard to play. <laughs> Super cool stuff. And yeah, I was also thinking about like some like math core. Uh, I don't know if these guys are considered math core, but I do consider them math core. Uh, they're called Car Bomb. Do you know them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of them. That's crazy. It's just like so, so complex. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I wonder about that stuff. Sometimes it seems like it's for its own end. But, uh, you know, like crossword pu puzzles. <laughs> Keep yourself entertained. Because it seems to me like if you don't feel it. Like Chuck Coltrane said something about, like, Thelonious Monk telling him to memorize music. If you play it from off the paper, you're not going to play it as good. So the feel, right? And jazz guys used to always talk about this thing called swing. Yeah, and that's kind of like a kind of blurry thing, right? The swing, and I wonder yeah. if you start getting too much into math rock, that 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 you're never going to get close to that. It's all head oh. and maybe not enough body, but you know, look, there's millions of ways to express yourself musically, so I think it's all very happening. So, yeah, you, you guys were just a duet. Did you do gigs? Did you do recording? I don't think we never did a gig or recorded anything. It's just in our memories. <laughs> yeah, but that that's important because that whenever you play, right, you're investing in the next time you play. So that might be in front of people. That might be a record. Yeah. 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 It, it really was just, you know, for us and and for the neighbors who probably hate us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. There's, that's always... John Cage said, right, Mozart going on, but if uh, you're trying to talk to your buddy, it's noise. Yeah. You gave me this bit. This one has a big title. La mano esquero la que escriba las mentiras chiquitas. Let's listen. I
from this uh, thing that I wrote I don't know how how old I was even maybe like 19 20 or even younger um, and I was I got very interested in um, I'm right-handed so I got really interested really interested in trying to do things with my left hand because not only it was harder and you know I felt like my brain was working when I was doing stuff with my left hand but also I noticed that the things that I would write and the things that I would draw would be very different. You know, it's not only like 
things were harder and that's why I did them differently. But it was like, it was accessing a part of my brain that I didn't have much access to with my right hand. So I remember writing that and thinking, oh, that's a very funny sentence. And then, you know, years later, I was, uh, I mean, not that many, but at 23, when I started my PhD at Northwestern, I got to collaborate with this amazing saxophonist, Brandon Quarles. Hello, Brandon. I love you. Yeah. And he, uh, we just started uh, coming up with ideas about writing a piece for him. And I asked him if it was okay if I wrote a piece with my left hand. You know, it's going to be probably, it's not, it wasn't going to look very professional. But uh, he was okay with it, and I did some things about it. But then we decided to bring that kind of like left-handedness uh, of, the, of the whole compositional process to his playing. So it was very interesting to see like, okay, Brandon, is there a way in which you can try to play this instrument that you have mastered so well and that you have spent, I don't know how many years, you know, trying to play in the most perfect way uh, according to the technique that you were shown. How can you play this as if you were writing with your non-dominant hand? Um, and of course, it was like a very interesting psychological exercise. And Absolutely. for him, most of it had to do with not his hands, but actually the embouchure of the saxophone. He was trying to play, he was trying to remember the struggles that he had when he started playing and it, with, with regards to his mouth and, you know, how you have to place it to come up with this pure sound or this blah, blah, blah. So he started exploring this kind of left-handedness, but with the embouchure of the instrument. And that's how the piece came to came to be. Oh, trippy. Watch for Pedro's show. Yeah. Didn't fucking mute the monitor there. Fucking idiot. Uh, sorry, little pilot air people. Uh, we had uh, Luis uh, describe what that title is about the left hand. And, uh, uh, yeah, does the, the right. And Day Mary after that with uh, Don Zadele, Equilibrium. Italiano, very close to Spanish, a lot of their words. Uh, Ration after that pre-trial picnic. And then... Luis Fernando Amayo with Dialecto de Arbo Numero Dos. Okay, so Defa, you're going to school in uh, Mexico City, but then you mentioned something about going to school in Chicago, right? Yeah. Okay, we kind of skipped over that. <laughs> <laughs> so so you got a degree in Mexico City, and then you go to get your uh, master's? PhD. PhD, rather. You got your master's in Mexico City. You get your PhD Northwestern. No, I did my undergrad in Mexico City, and then I skipped the the master's. Oh, um, okay. Mostly because yeah. I just couldn't for it. Yeah, <laughs> Le- leapfrog. Yeah, a lot of monies, right? A lot of dinero. Bobby De Niro. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and in Northwest, you made some connections with the sax man. Because uh, yeah. all your uh, musician friends from Mexico are gone, right? You're all playing with Yankees. Um, no. no. You mean like they, they live in the U.S.? Yeah, when you were at Northwestern. Um, no, I mean, my, my musician friends from Mexico, most of them stayed in Mexico. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's why I'm saying. So you're, you're playing now in the U.S. Uh, okay, sorry. I, I, I completely understood. Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I was <laughs> talking like an idiot, a tonto. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. So... The, oh, like what you did with your buddy on the guitar with that prog stuff and that strange uh, uh, metered music. Were you doing that outside of school at Northwestern also while you're doing your classical studies? No, no. I, that's, I think, something that um, 
kind of really stayed in my, um, okay. you know, eight years. Uh, I think that even when I moved to Mexico City when I was 18, uh, that stopped in many ways. And yeah, I started composing more, kind of like this experimental music or improvising more. I mean, I did have some remnants of that with, um, I used to have a band uh, called Barabunda, which I think the translation would be like hubbub <laughs> in <laughs> English. Yeah. Um, and it was great. It was, it was so quartet. It was um, piano, clarinet, bass, and drums. We would also play our own music, although we um, tried to sell ourselves as a jazz band so that, you know, bars would hire us to play. But sure. then we arrived and maybe like started playing a, a few standards. And after a little while, it was just like this messy thing that we like to do um, that was pretty free and that was very influenced by experimental music, um, you know, like what people call uh, new music or classical contemporary music, yeah. uh, which is kind of a contradiction. Yeah. Uh, we were all composers. Uh, we, we are all composers. Um, so it was a lot of fun and there are some remnants of this, you know, kind of like improv sets with my friend when I was 16 and 17, but, you know, um, I guess on a different level and also with a very different aesthetic, um, and, and aesthetic that was, I guess, way more, um, just experimental and bold and a little crazy. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, May 3, 2023 edition. What Pedro Show special guest, Luis Fernando Maya. Hold tight for our three. May 3, 2023, third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
Mr. Manchester met me at Piccadilly. It was my first time in his sacred city. His northern folk were as warm as his northern streets were grim. The unlikely setting for his postponed conceptual thing. His happy and blue Mondays were still to come, and it was still a long way from fact 501. Mr. Manchester drove me to Granada land Was he a TV presenter just dabbling with bands He filled my stupid head full of his great ideas And I followed him to destinations unclear His happy and blue Mondays were still to come And it was still a long way from fact 501 Happy and blue Mondays turned to drugs and guns, and he got a little closer to fact 501.
Has a lot of that too. Yeah, of course. Blues, uh, jazz—they—they yeah. they both come from that kind of stuff. R and B. Yeah, yeah. We we're talking off air, people. I started third hour off with Luis uh, Fernando Maya with Correa de Dilettante entre las Arbola. Then Kevin Hewick with Fact Five Hundred One. Luis Fernando Maya, Comentaros Inaudibles, and. Uh, was it hard getting your uh, PhD? You know, I I mean, yes. The answer is yes, of course. But also, it wasn't, like, it wasn't painful for me uh, as I saw that it was for other people. And I think it had more to do with the fact that I was just very aware all the time that I was getting paid to study, <laughs> to teach, and to compose. And, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, uh, it can get really heavy, you know, with workload and uh, sometimes at some points, you know, the pay, you know, the stipend that they give you might not be enough or whatever. But, you know, I'm very frugal and I, I always just felt like it was kind of like this golden age of, um, of, you know, a moment where I could just do whatever I wanted musically speaking because I didn't depend on on my musical success to, to live for a few years. Uh, so that was great. It was, I mean, yes, it was hard in, in many senses, but I, I don't see it as a, like it was, you know, a hard time at all. It was amazing, actually. Yeah. Well, you know, like a lot of things in life, you get new, uh, you get out of it what you put into it, I think. So it's not going to yeah. be the same for everybody. Yeah, because people have different motivations. They come from different experiences, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, they got different kind of... Uh, what they think should be and then the reality <laughs> try to overthrow reality with some kind of concept so what'd you do after you got your phd so that was very recently i finished my phd uh, in may of last year oh one year uh, sorry one year i uh, in 2022 so yeah one year yeah. yeah see yeah one year hasn't been oh uh, yeah it's gonna be Actually, yeah, it's already May. Wow, time flies. Yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be in two weeks. It's gonna be here. <laughs> okay. okay. But um, during the pandemic, yeah, well, when it started, I guess in 2020, um, me and my partner and I moved out out of Chicago. Um, we went to Mexico first, to so Aguascalientes, then we moved to Puerto Rico. She's from Puerto Rico. Yeah. And then uh, we moved to Barcelona afterwards. Um, that's when we started living in Spain. And then after that, we moved to, from Barcelona to Alicante. So I've been outside of the U S for about three years, you know, living outside of it, even though my PhD technically ended one year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And what about, uh, Alicante? Do you do music there? No, no, we came also because, uh, uh, well, 
we, we are we we got um how can we say it? uh we met another person a third partner in this relationship and she's from here from alicante and after we finished you know all of our studies and everything we had to do in barcelona we decided that it was a good place to come for a little while to you know kind of like regroup um seeing what's next you know in this case is oslo and to you know alicante has the very big um advantage of being super nice having a very high you know, quality of life and also not being very expensive um and it's very well connected with the rest of europe so this was kind of like our place to be for a little bit um but we haven't really worked here a lot uh, i've i've been working more in germany or switzerland um or actually those two places that that's been like most of uh, where I've done the most work here in Europe. And what made you think of Oslo, Norway? Um, well, uh, it was mostly motivated because of my partners. Like one is doing a master's degree uh, in furniture design. You know, kind of like Oslo is like the, well, Scandinavia in general is kind of like the place for those kinds of things. And uh, the other one, um, she's a clarinetist and she studied there. So she has her own... Um, like all of her network is there basically. Okay. Uh, so for me, it makes a lot of sense also because they have a lot of governmental funding for the arts. So uh, once I'm able to apply for it, you know, with immigration stuff and everything, um, I might be able to live off of my composing. I mean, that would be a dream. You know, it's really hard in general in the world. The U.S. is no exception. So, but it seems like. Norway is one of the few places where if you do it right and, you know, after a few years, you can actually live off of making music. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Let's play the last chunk of music. You gave me this, uh, oas. Corta hojas, yeah. Yeah, that cut leaves, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, like leaf cutter. Yeah. Leaf yeah. cutter. It refers to the leaf cutter bee. Okay. Okay. A bug. Thank you. 
Thank you.
just a visitor in this land. I said I am just a visitor in this land. Things I've been told, things have been said, things that I've learned, and these books are read. Rain's still gonna fall, wind's gonna blow. Only one thing I'll ever know. I am just a visitor in this land. I said I am just a visitor in this land. People I know, people I see, found they were all strangers to me. Moving on, moving away. I live in this confusion, this confusion every day. Cause I am just a visitor. In this land, yes I am, yes I am. I said I am just a visitor in this land. I'm just passing through. I am just a visitor in this land, in this land. Said I am just a visitor in this land. Ooh, in this land, just a visitor in this land.
Watch for Pedro's show. Last music for this edition. Luis Fernando Amaya with Corta Hoyas. Don't say the H, Watt. <laughs> Jeb Lloyd Nick Nichols with I'm Just Visitor. And finally, Luis Fernando Amaya with Bistiario Cuatro. Yeah. Careful. Uh, so so that's the plan, is uh, Oslo in Norway. In, in the meantime, you, you compose. Now, what do you... Your composition, what do you do? You make like demos? Is it all written manuscripts? Is it graphic uh, uh, scores? How, how do you do this? It really changes from piece to piece, you know? Um, I guess whatever works best with the musical idea is what goes. Sometimes is, for example, a video score um, that, you know, just shows kind of like the gestures um, to, you know, allow the performer to play. Um, a rhythm that otherwise would be very complex to notate, but actually when you see it, it's easier to perform, particularly with electronics. I work a lot with electronics. Ah, oh, um, you mean you make you make like you know I've had guys do that to show me a bass part. They'll show me a video there, so you see where their hands are on the neck. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Um, maybe you know like uh, in this case it's very like piece specific because it has something to do also with the tuning of the of the violin for example vestiario cuatro the, the last yeah. one that you mentioned sure. that that one has that that type of score it's like a really specific type of score but sometimes it's just a more regular looking you know uh western style notated score sometimes can be more graphic like the one in La mano izquierda is like escribe las mentiras chiquitas, you know, the one for saxophone sure, and, and electronics. Sure. Um, and yeah, sometimes I do them by hand. Sometimes I do them with a uh, with you know Sibelius this uh, software. Sure, and very uh, yeah, syllabus, right? Yeah, it's kind of like um, yeah, similar it's to Finale or Dorico. Yeah, or it's like. a notation software. Let, let, let me tell the listeners. It, it, it turns the stuff into printable, like, manuscript stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what about when you're coming up with the ideas? Do you, like, I don't know, voice memos? Or uh, do you have, like, a collection of little bits that eventually come together to make whole pieces? I mean, yeah, the voice memos are, are big. It's, I find it interesting that you mentioned that. I, they're very useful to me. Well, so you know, the idea forget. the idea of drummers as composers really fascinates me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, whatever. I, do, I write a lot of my ideas. You know, I, I, I find it super useful to describe to myself in words what I'm imagining. Uh, and I found that it's not easy. No. It's not easy to try to put something that is very complex, you know, uh, to say, okay, I imagine this. Uh, like, you know, you can have one sound that lasts probably two seconds in your head, and you can find yourself writing one or two pages of yeah. the script of that sound. Big time. Um, Remember I was saying about in jazz, they get this idea of the swing, swing. Yeah. That's almost impossible to, like, notate, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's one way to notate it because it, there's like a, this mo constantly moving quality. Absolutely. And this kind of like, um, yeah, micro rhythmic quality to it. So um, actually a lot of my music is very much inspired by these kinds of things that are in between things, you know, uh, like in terms of, for example, pitch, I'm very much into microtonal stuff. 
but in sometimes it's in ways that is not necessarily super precise yeah. or like it's very much inspired by a lot of um, traditional music from Mexico and from Latin America where uh, pitch is not this, you know, thing that is either right or wrong. You know, it's either exactly what you're supposed to play or it's wrong. It's kind of like this area where you can kind of like, um, you know, if it's around it, it's okay. And that creates these very, very complex harmonies that can sound kind of detuned if you think about them in one specific way. But if you open kind of like your uh, expectations about what can uh, harmony or pitch be, then it's okay and actually can be very fascinating. It's the same thing with, with rhythm. So yeah, I find myself trying to, I mean, being super influenced by these kinds of things and trying to um, incorporate them into my music. And, and I'm not trying to do that like I am going to do this. It's just something that clearly has influenced my imagic, my musical imagination. Um, and yeah, I, writing uh, down all of these things, super helpful voice memos, um, trying to record stuff, uh, you know, with an instrument or something, or sometimes just even um, uh, like going directly with a performer and say, this is what I imagined. Can you try to do this and then record that and then listen to it a lot and try to see, okay, if this is not it, how can it be? You know, how far is it from what I'm imagining? <laughs> Whoa, really, really interesting. You know, when you get to Oslo, is that, that going to be soon, within the year? Yeah, it will be within a little over a month. I'm I'm really interested to see what kind of music you come up with when you get there. So, oh, can I put an same. invitation out to you? Like next year, you come back on the show. I want to see what you've what's been done in that in this year. Oh, I'd love to. Yes, it would be great also to to see what you think about it. You know, what changes do you notice? <laughs> okay, that beautiful, Luis. So so. Next year, okay, you come back on the show and we'll talk about the music that's come in the meantime. Great. Okay. Yeah, Mike. Great. Okay, absolutely. People, it's been the May 3, 2023 edition of Beatles Show. Keep your powder dry.